Welcome to the Industry Leaders Journey podcast from SAP. My name is Sue Shim. I'm very excited to share my candid and authentic conversations with industry leaders who are shaping the global value chain's future. My guests will reflect on what it takes to build a meaningful and successful career that will positively impact this world. My very first guest today is Ralph Peters. Ralph is Vice President of Procurement at Coca-Cola European Partners, which is the largest Coca-Cola bottler in the world by revenue. Ralph is also serving as Chairman of CEPG, the Global Procurement Consortium for the entire Coca-Cola system. Ralph has spent 25 years within the Coke system across finance, sales, and procurement with different entities in five countries. In the first part of my conversation with Ralph, we talk about Ralph's journey starting as a young economic student when the Iron Curtain was lifted in Berlin to becoming the head of procurement for one of the world's most iconic brands. Along the way in this journey, I collect lots of tips from Ralph on expanding one's career horizon, the importance of a growth mindset, and how to make the procurement team a value creator for the company and the planet. Now, let's begin the journey. Thank you for joining me today to um, talk about your life journey. I'm super excited to have you on our podcast. Thank you, Sue. Very happy to be here. Greetings from Berlin. Yes. So last year when I was introduced to you, um, the one word that came to me to sum you up was change. So mm-hmm. what a adventurous life journey you have. Uh, your background is super interesting and to me actually quite exciting. So I wanted to start with uh, asking you about um, your university time. So as I understand, you were born in East Germany. And um, so you studied economics in a, in a university called Free University of Berlin. Yeah. Yeah. So how was it like uh, uh, in the period that radical change that you experienced from communism to capitalism? And uh, ironically, you studied this uh, economics, probably studying this free market system. <laughs> how did that shape you at the time and your value systems? Yeah. Interesting for me, I believe, was the fact that the wall came down at a perfect time for me. Yeah. So I was just finished my high school education and uh was 19 when the wall came down and ready to go to the university or first the army and then the university and everything changed yeah so um, when I started finally at the university in in Berlin as you said I lived in a different society from a from a entire uh, setup of the society so it was not so difficult educationally because the education system in East Germany was very good in terms of science, mass, uh, history, language. It was obviously screwed in, in certain areas towards political education as well, but the base foundation of what's important and, and how especially science and, and history works, everything was there. Languages as well. I had like three languages in high school. Um, question was always how to use them uh, when there is an iron curtain, but uh, uh, at least I, I, I had Spanish, English, and Russian as, as foreign languages on top of obviously German. But um, afterwards, uh, it, in the university, this educational part, the core education, no problem with that to cope with university education. The change was more you were supposed to do something. And uh, there was a university in East Berlin that was my destination 
university coming from the from high school that university obviously was under tremendous change and lost literally the right to be a university after a certain time so everybody who wanted to continue like me into uh, university education had to finish their undergraduate studies in three semesters rather than four or five so they told us literally you can go to free, free university or to the other university in west berlin and that's no problem but you need to finish your undergraduate in three semesters and it's literally one of the many elements that happened in 1990 1991 where you had to adapt to quite significant challenges but they came so frequent that that was just another of those things that you had to deal with and decide okay three semesters what does it mean 50 hours a week of studying rather than 30 or 35 we need to get it done yeah uh, because there was a there was a goal after that and the goal the destiny was clear i wanted to go to university i wanted to do my economic studies and uh, they, there was a way not the easiest but there was a way to get there so obstacle is a way they say yeah it's it's uh, it, indeed it's an obstacle but uh, with the growth mindset mm-hmm. with, the, with, the, with the fact that you already have experienced in the last 12 months the biggest change of your life that was not necessarily a, a super big challenge yeah study a bit more study a bit faster it it wasn't so much about the marks you get it was more passing the undergraduate to get a chance then to properly study at the why, why but why yeah. did you choose economics is that what you wanted it just yeah to- it was um um already in the communist times uh, in east germany there was a chance to do uh, foreign trade as a subject which i applied for very very few places available at that time and i was accepted in 89 before the wall came down so i had this travel of direction in terms of economics or, or business or, or trade uh, already identified for myself whilst i was still at high school and um, that turned into a very let's say comprehensive standard education in, in economics then after the wall came down Yeah, perfect timing, like you said. You really get practice that free economy <laughs> everywhere. Absolutely. Uh, um, as timing from for from an educational perspective was perfect. Change uh, in terms of changing the university, slightly changing the subject, doing different things. Great. Um, Berlin as a city by itself was a change for me because I moved from my hometown city into Berlin. So a lot of exciting times in the early 90s, I can tell you. Yeah. So that led you to eventually that almost I could say symbol of capitalism, which is the one of the biggest, the most famous brand, Coca-Cola. So how did you start your career in in the mm-hmm. Coca-Cola family? Because uh, you've yeah. gone through three different mergers, at least uh, uh, all different uh, Coca-Cola bottlers. First of all, from today's perspective, I would say it's it's uh, more a symbol of globalism, huh? Coca-Cola, because tell me any other brand or any other thing that wherever you are in the world you get this one same thing yeah mm-hmm. uh, and you can rely on you know exactly what you get and you you know exactly uh, how it feels uh, when you consume it so how did i start probably also again in the, in one of the best ways you you can start your professional career the bottler in east germany which was uh, by that time still a 100% subsidy of the coke company offered training programs in 95 and um, 
I saw that the old classic way an advertisement in the newspaper applied for the uh, trainee program got actually invited near my hometown into the distribution center, which until that moment, I didn't know that they have a distribution center near my hometown and uh, went to the assessment center and got the uh, contract right at the end of it, uh, mm -hmm. at least the contract proposal. So, And that brought me then into the Koch system and the Koch family. Uh, 1995, started a trainee program. It was a finance trainee program with uh, obviously the aim to move into different functions outside of finance as well. Oh, so that's, that's why maybe says you, you did start in the finance, but uh, very interesting that uh, you actually went beyond the boundary of the line of business throughout your 20 years in Coca-Cola family. Mm. You've gone through from finance to sales and marketing yep. and then now procurement, like three different four different lines of business you know a lot of us uh really looking to progress in our career mm -hmm. um what's your advice to give if you anybody's looking to expand their horizon or yep. an area so i didn't have the plan like that yeah so but in hindsight i, I think what helped a lot was um First of all, the training program itself showed me there are more functions in the business. So you learn that right from the beginning. You see that right from the beginning. And then secondly, when I started in finance, it was um, the commercial finance part where you do the financial analysis and the commercial finance piece in terms of analyzing the, the business performance. Um, and you get a very good feel about commercial and the business reasons behind your revenue development for instance and uh, that allows you to to engage with those colleagues in commercial and i think that's the key thing you you are in a role business partner role analytics role etc but you can engage with other functions and the curiosity that you show or that is hopefully there um helps you to learn and when you learn enough you you become a partner and when you become a partner then it's very natural that people from other functions consider you as he understands what we are doing mm -hmm. and then it's not any not a much a not a big step to consider transitioning from one side to the other and i believe it so it is an individual effort but it's also enablement by the company in which you work so in the coca-cola system this kind of transferable skill set is one of the elements that we want to develop yeah? so and foster bring people in and develop the business acumen let them grow in in different roles and functions and if that comes together your own individual attitude and the opportunity that the company provides then it's often only raising the hand at the right time and say i would actually be interested in doing this or that and sometimes you get asked and sometimes you ask you know? um, and then you start to move around a bit and, and see different roles and then maybe also in different functions you know? like what I had the chance to do. So I read it in the recent blog that you have done the interview with the procurement heads Mm -hmm. So your, your company asked you to leave procurement after the merger in 2016 because you're the leader uh, who could embrace this change with multinational, multifunctional experiences. But until then, actually, you didn't have any uh, experience or role within procurements. Yeah. So what was your outside in view um, about the procurement? 
Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it has changed since four years you've been there. It definitely has changed. Yeah. And what's your now intention yeah. for the procurement function for the company? So before yeah. in the beginning versus now, like where you want to head to? I believe the indeed the reason why I had a chance to take over the procurement role was more from the specific setup at the post-merger uh, situation. So you had a three-way merger of equals. So you had three procurement functions from three different geographic backgrounds, very diverse population across Western Europe. And uh, despite the fact that the Coke system itself is, is, is globally relatively comparable, there was not much of an uh, alignment that happened before the merger be amongst those functions. So you had to bring them together. Uh, by then I had lived in four different countries, worked for different bottlers. So I had a, at least an understanding of how different bottlers work. And um, that helped a lot. Bringing people together and, 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 and going for the value opportunity that was clearly there in that merger, whilst setting up the right operating model for procurement is not necessarily a procurement skill. It's, it's a leadership skill. Yeah? So, and I knew, and obviously the people who asked me knew as well that we have talented procurement professionals in the team. We just need to put them in the right position under the right operating framework. And that is what I think happened. And so I enjoyed that. What I did before I went into procurement was the CFO. I was the CFO for the GB business unit. GB means what? Global? Great, Great Britain. And I had my interactions with procurement. So as a finance person, I understood there is value that comes my way. Not necessarily really understood where I find it in the PL because it wasn't that clear yeah um, and I did not necessarily really understood how I can help them to let's say drive more value or what they really want from me in terms of business uh, alignment for a pipeline of value that is potentially bigger than what we see today mm -hmm. um, so when I was then asked to go into procurement I was thinking about that and, and thought you need to make it easy for stakeholders to understand what, what actually the value is that you provide yeah? mm -hmm. and why yeah? and where they can find it actually. So that anyone as a stakeholder can go and say, oh yeah, these 5 million come from procurement. I, this is clearly the value that sits here in my cost center, in my PL, et cetera. And uh, so we went and, and that was one of the benefits I had as a finance professional. We clearly separated the PL value from any other benefit that's out there that procurement mm -hmm. creates. So say here is you can hardwire in your in your uh, BU profit and loss statement the value that procurements create. Plan visit and measure us against that. And we, we like to over-deliver that. And then all the other benefits, we explain you on top of that what we can do as well. Yeah. Um, and that helped a lot, made our life easier. And, and, and uh, I think stakeholders understood very well that we can deliver this. The same thing we did with payment terms, obviously generating cash flow for the business. Just talking about that, framing it, articulating it very clearly, helped to understand that. And that then allowed us to, especially over the last two, three years, to engage in, in other topics outside of value creation that are very, very important. Um, this, the sustainability angle of uh, us as a company, 
what we want to achieve, but especially what procurement can do to to contribute to lead that agenda actually in certain areas um, was became very soon very clear as a big opportunity. And looking back from today's perspective, the last two, three years have been tremendously uh, busy on that area and we have made very significant progress in different areas. If you want to make it easy for people, you need to have pragmatic approach to tools and systems. Yeah? So uh, make it make it easy using technology that helps you to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And, uh, and also makes your life easier, but also helps overall to, to drive the agenda of digitization of a company. Uh, pays tremendously back today when we all sit in home office, yeah? uh, totally rely on the virtual world. Mm-hmm. Um, these yeah. kind of things came then uh, on top and changed the way how I looked at procurement because now I'm part of it. Um, I lead the function in CCP, but I like the way that we can contribute in different levels driving the strategy of the company. Value, digital, and sustainability. The three key pillars. Huh? Three key pillars. That's mm-hmm. super. Actually, I, I want to go back into the sustainability a little bit deeper later, just mm-hmm. before we get there. I wanted to touch up on a little bit on that, maybe more specific examples on the PL part. Uh, how is there any specific examples like what you actually did to highlight that the, your contribution as a procurement to the PL? Naya, um, first of all, when you go back into 2016 and CCP was founded, um, the then management said the expectation of the uh, post-merger benefits lays between 310, 350 million euros. The majority of that comes from procurement. I'll give you an example that might probably fascinating one. I was thinking, um, I mean, we, we use a lot of haulage in, in, in Coca-Cola. We need to ship our products to our customers and, and often also to, directly to our consumers. And uh, as you can imagine, logistics and haulage is, is a very uh, big industry, but a lot of players in that industry as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's not only, let's say, DHL and two others. It's like thousands of hauliers out there. So to run a tender for Western Europe, we were wondering how many hauliers we actually can invite. And we invited more than 3,000 hauliers into mm-hmm. a tender like that. Uh, that requires systems that can handle that, yeah. Which we also learned how to do that in in solution technical solutions. And uh, but I was surprised at how many holders really wanted to go beyond their borders. Well, there were not that many that were ready in 2016, 2017 to go from Iberia to France or from Benelux to Germany and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we ended up from 3,000 in the tender with 80 who got lines or who got lanes uh, of shipment. And those 80 then obviously had quite big chunks of business and therefore you get a reasonably good price tag. Mm-hmm. And that's the value that you then find in your PL as lower cost for logistics. So you're using the tenders and then using actually at the time, it's four years ago already, but were you already using uh, like systems like uh, uh, electronic bidding? Absolutely. Yeah, very early with the um, e-auction solutions for the right tenders, but uh, also bringing together the, um, the different SAP environments that we had. You know, we were in the first year of the post-merger 
but we obviously still had different SAP environments. Mm -hmm. So find a way to do a tender that allows you to do a Western European tender. And then you need to pick one of the three environments and you run it through everything to that uh, in a pragmatic way so that you come to a solution uh, that allows you to uh, allocate the, the business. It, it is again, this, this kind of mindset. So where you have obstacles and, and often this is used as an excuse. Yeah, oh, we don't have the systems, we can't do that. Or we have three different systems. How should we do a global tender on that? And, and then immediately you limit yourself in, in thinking about actually what you want to achieve rather than what everything is in your way. Mm. Um, so you need to think, so systems was never accepted as a excuse not to do things. Um, what we learned is what kind of systems we want throughout the process, because obviously you do that and you understand I want to get something that allows me to do this, this, and this. So that's why we picked very early uh, a spend analytics tool that is AI driven. And we, we started to implement that uh, so that we understand our spend base. That's why we, we are pretty, let's say, we were pretty articulated in defining and then implementing our Ariba solution uh, that we have in place now. And finally, we have everything what we want, uh, at least for today it is uh, giving us the engine that we need to drive. Thanks for listening to the first part of my conversation with Ralph Peters. In the second part of our conversation, we will discuss one of the most pressing issues of our time, climate change. Procurement has a crucial role in fighting global warming, and Ralph has taken an active role in reducing carbon emissions and waste. Join us in the second part of this journey, available now. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Industry Leaders Journey. This series is produced by the Industry Value Chain Team at SAP, where we are committed to making the world run better and improving people's lives. For more information and to access all of our podcasts, find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Ariba.com.